Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring hosts Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here is Jason and Scott. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Goldberg, SVP of Commerce and Content at Razorfish. And I'm Scott Wingo, co-founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. You are listening to the inaugural episode of the Jason and Scott Show. So if you have tuned in, this is going to be a podcast all about the latest in e-commerce news and trends and uh, the latest in digital shopper marketing. So we have selected the perfect day for our first episode. Uh, We are recording this on November 11th, 2015. And those of you in the know will know that 11-11 is Singles Day in China, the the world's largest online shopping event. And uh, Scott, have you uh, seen any of the results from this year? I have happy Singles Day, Jason. And happy Singles Day to you, Scott. Even though we're both married, we can celebrate. The uh, First, what do you think about Singles Day? I, I've always heard it was just a PR thing that Alibaba created, but today a lot of people were saying that it was a university anti-Valentine's Day thing. That felt like a PR story that was kind of just contrived. I don't know. What, what have you heard? Yeah, so I do think that there is some truth in that story, and I, I think – there is a marketer inside of Alibaba who is my all-time hero because essentially there clearly was a locally celebrated event in a few universities called originally Bachelor's Day for mm-hmm. uh, for single men, and it ultimately expanded to include both genders and was Singles Day. I mean, it was, you know, frankly, just an excuse for university students to get together and party and actually resolve their singlehood through blind dating and things like that. And it happened to fall in autumn – and the rumor goes that, you know, Alibaba was looking at the great success of Cyber Monday here in the United States and was looking for, you know, a holiday to promote that was at the right time of year and that single day was the winner. And uh, it, it's funny because I just I have to imagine that there's some some poor guy that picked that day and came to the meeting and proposed that they convert this this like unknown dating holiday into a major shopping event and you know he was probably laughed out of the, out of the room and you know today he he generated almost 15 billion dollars in sales he's a hero exactly mine for sure yeah so so last year it was by far the largest day in the china holiday period uh, and they did 9 billion this year what i'm seeing is 14.3 billion so by my math, that's a 58% increase year over year, which is pretty impressive because I think, I think Alibaba in general is growing kind of in the 40% range. A lot of people are watching mobile very closely for Alibaba because it monetizes a little bit less than desktop. And uh, this is interesting from the U.S. perspective. Mobile was 69% of that number. Through the day, it was actually trending higher. Uh, they, they did a little kind of a ticker symbol through the day. and It was in the mid-70s, and then in the last four hours, it kind of turned it down to 69%, where I think people were on their computers in the evening versus during the day. Another interesting stat was that they injected 467 shipments into their top shipping partner. I heard on the radio that that's more than FedEx or UPS sends in a year. I I, I wanted to fact check that with you. I figured you would know that off the top of your head. And to put all that in perspective, last year, Cyber Monday was $2.7 billion. And if we say that we're kind of aggressive and we say that that grows 15% this year, that'll be $3 billion. So, you know, Singles Day looks like it will be this year five times the size of Cyber Monday. So it's actually getting bigger than Cyber Monday kind of in big orders of magnitude. How do you feel about all that? 
Yeah, I mean it's it's overwhelming. Like it's almost when you're talking about stats in China, like you you just have to reset your your whole frame of reference because the numbers are so much bigger. You know, certainly you we expect Chinese consumers are more accustomed to shopping on mobile, so you would expect the number to be higher, but you know, 60% of of all of that that transaction volume on mobile feels super impressive. Like I think I saw that that's something like 200 million shoppers. I think they they equaled last year's total revenue about 12 hours into the event. And I think it took them about eight minutes to get their first billion dollars. So I'm sure part of that, you know, early sales are like kind of front loaded sales from shoppers that had filled up their cart, you know, well before singles day and were waiting for the deals to kick in. But it, it's still hugely impressive. And I did have the exact same question you did about the shipping, right? Mm-hmm. And so I did find some interesting stats. Not annual volume, but over holiday. So November, December, FedEx will ship about 317 million packages, and UPS will ship 630 million packages. So those guys are 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 shipping more packages in one day than FedEx will ship during the entire holiday period, and you know almost as much as UPS will. Wow, I knew you would know the answer to that. That's kind of funny. That's a lucky break. Uh, we, we probably won't get there before. But here's the stat that I think is going to cause people the most grief in my world. They hit a peak transaction volume of 140,000 transactions a second. Yeah. And the reason I think that's going to cause a lot of grief is I feel like every one of my poor clients that's doing their holiday readiness assessment and they're, they're struggling to hit their comparatively modest goals, those IT teams are going to have to hear about how Alibaba was able to do 140. <laughs> thousand a second. And I I don't think they're going to like talking about it for very long. I think the payment number was even higher. I I saw something in the 200,000 a second for Alipay kind of transactions. That must be amazing. Yep. Do you think they're using their, um, they have an AWS competitor, right? Do you think they're using that under the hood to power all this? That is certainly what, what they are claiming is that it is on the the same stack that they, that they uh, make available to corporations. And they, they, I'm sure they'll be using that as a marketing vehicle. What do you think was the most interesting promotion that you saw? Yep. Well, so, you know, the, you turned me on to one. I want to hear more about the Delta Airlines one, but certainly the one that got all the, the buzz uh, in the media was the Cadillac promo. Yeah. On that one, they, if you pre-ordered a Cadillac, if you were one of the first hundred people to pre-order a Cadillac, you got 50% off. So that's, I don't, I don't know how you determine who was first. People, that must be people waiting up till midnight just hoping they hit the buy button or something but that that's pretty interesting. And then on Delta it was a it was a singles day promotion and it was half off a flight and it was really, you know, obviously an American company promoting it to Chinese travelers as a as a way to kind of get around and and enjoy travel on singles day. I hadn't seen a lot of travel deals before so that was kind of interesting and I certainly hadn't seen half off cars. I thought that was that was an interesting promotion. Yeah, and like presumably that's promotion in the truest sense of the word. That, that that was really a marketing promotion <laughs> around building brand because it, it's hard to imagine that that was a, a profitable yeah. offer for anyone to make. Um, didn't Gilt do that like in their heyday when did they do like a car for half off or something? Yeah, I do. I do think you know That's some some of those like you know short run fantastical deals um, as I like to call them. You know they they certainly generate buzz. Like I, it, it's interesting who that was generating buzz for. I'm not sure at this point Alibaba needed the buzz. It was kind yeah. of joint. It was Singles Day and Cadillac, I guess. Exactly. And so it'll be interesting to see what, what the sort of lifetime value of that promotion is to Cadillac. But I do think it underscores one of the big trends 
you know, I think the early, you know, Singles Day started in 2009, and for the first few years, it was all about like super deep discounts on Chinese goods, mm-hmm. and I, I it's sort of more from there. And I, you know, I think last year was the first year there were a lot of luxury goods uh, being promoted on Singles Day, and particularly a lot of luxury Western brands. And, you know, Jack Ma has, has definitely said that he wants it to be a global holiday. And this really feels like the year when all the global brands jumped on board in terms of making offers to sell to Chinese consumers. So not only do we see all the big apparel brands that have been there for a while, like Nike and Under Armour and Abercrombie and Fitch, this year we actually saw the retailers getting in the act. So Costco and Macy's from the U.S., we saw Sansbury in the U.K., you know, and other other retailers taking advantage of the fact that that you know Chinese consumer has a a huge thirst for western goods and they're they're leveraging the power of that that uh shopping festival as a, a way to meet new Chinese consumers. Yeah, and Jack Ma was on CNBC and he was talking about Nike and New Balance. He called them out. He also talked about that the handset manufacturer Xiaomi and how that was quite popular. Then he said something mysterious. He's like next year I'm bringing Singles Day to New York and London. So I, I thought that was Somewhat mysterious, and they asked him questions, and he wouldn't go into it. But I, I think they, they very much would like to get, you know, other countries involved. But but it's not really sticking, other than the import kind of side of the equation. No, and I will tell you that comment uh, terrified me a little bit because I we we published a uh, the Razorfish point of view on Singles Day today, and we we definitely see it as a powerful tool for Western brands to market to Chinese consumers, and we actually think there's a second huge global opportunity to sell goods to Chinese expats that are scattered around the world. And I think, you know, this year they, they, uh, Alibaba's cross-bordered ship to 220 countries on Singles Day. So I think that's a, a growing trend. But I went on record as saying that I don't see it being adopted in the U.S. by, by U.S. retailers. And, you know, no great logic, uh, mystery to, to that logic. It, Singles Day is Veterans Day in the U.S. And it's perilously close to a, a promotional calendar that retailers are already addicted to. And it just, it just seems unlikely that there's a bunch of untapped demand that could be, you know, sussed out through, you know, further promotions. Like I, I think we're already going to see the, the U S holiday season get stretched out and start earlier every year, but, you know, highly unlikely that kicking off a singles day in the U S is suddenly going to generate some net new, new revenue. So, uh, you know, we'll have to see what Mr. Ma has up his sleeve in terms of of uh, New York and UK. I'll certainly be interested to watch. Yeah, hopefully he's wrong and you're right. It would be the first in history, but I will certainly take it. So I I did notice that the uh, Channel Advisor Same Store Sales Report also came out yesterday. Uh, equally important event in the world of e-commerce. Scott, what can you would you tell us about that? And you know, were there any big takeaways you had? Yeah, and since this is probably the first time a lot of our listeners have heard about it, let me just give the really quick kind of overview. Uh, at, at Channel Advisor, we have about 3,000 customers. They use our software to sell all different places across the Internet, and they generate about $6 billion goes through our software. And what we do is we look at that data, compare year-over-year trends on a same-store sales basis, so we strip out any customers we've added or that have left in, in the year period, that we feel that gives us a pretty interesting benchmark, uh, and that's how this came about. Customers asking us, saying, "Hey, I feel like I'm doing pretty well on Google Shopping. I'm up eight percent, but how am I versus my peers?" So I'll, I'll separate it into two buckets. We have kind of the leaders and the laggards, and 
I always use this benchmark of 15%. Comscore has come out with that the last three quarters and pretty consistently for a long time. It's 13% desktop, 3% mobile, and you add those up and you get to kind of 15%. So the leaders are growing at that pace or are greater. Google Shopping product listing ads came in at 32%. It's kind of the fastest growing channel we saw. And this is all for the month of October. We have two marketplaces, eBay and Amazon, and then we have 45 other marketplaces, and we, we bucketize them and call it other third-party marketplaces. That grew really well at 25%. Uh, a lot of people always ask, is Jet inside of there? And Jet won't be in these data until they've been up a year or so, and we're only like 15 weeks in the Jet still. It's still a very young company, so that's not in that data. That's other marketplaces like Sears and Best Buy and folks like that. Amazon grew 16%. Um, and then eBay, the parts and accessories part of eBay, which is motor parts, uh, that grew 16%. The laggards were comparison shopping engines at 15, 11%. eBay, eBay overall was at 3%. Uh, and search, which is kind of the AdWords kind of part of search, was down 7%, so minus 7%. So it kind of an interesting mix there of, of Google, other marketplaces, Amazon, and a part of eBay doing really well, and then com- traditional comparison shopping engines, eBay and search, uh, eBay overall, uh, not doing so well. Yeah, and you know that that does beg the question. I feel like this is the second or third report in in a row where you know eBay is the core. eBay has notably lost ground, and you know some some of these other guys seem to be you know catching more market share. Like is like in your view is does eBay not have the right model? Are they going to keep losing customers? Is there like in something that they can fix, or what's, what's yeah, the future? eBay's in a tough spot. They a little over a year now. They they had two events hit them at once. They had a Google SEO action, which is every retailer's worst nightmare to hear those three words. Um, and then they also had a, a hack, a breach. So they had to reset everyone's password. And eBay's password system is very 1997, and it's really confusing because a lot of people don't understand. They have a separate eBay and PayPal account, and eBay and both PayPal are trying to get people not to use their emails as their login IDs, all this kind of stuff. So it it caused this whole cascade of problems. Everyone thought they'd be through that by now. Uh, eBay is still kind of talking about it. It, It's you know they they bring up Google SEO actions a lot as one of the reasons. When I talk to our customers, one challenge that they point to is the eBay search engine is really broken and it's very hard to find things on eBay. I'm I'm sure you've had that that experience. Uh, Another one is the fee structure is very unusual today. Uh, There's all these marketplaces. None of them has a listing fee, kind of like a you know like a almost like a classified listing. eBay still does have listing fees, and it, it just creates a lot of headaches and and pain for people selling there. So. You know the, the the good news is they have a new management team in there. They brought over a guy Hal Lawton from Home Depot, and he seems to be really strong leader. Uh, he's running North America. Uh, he's an NC State grad, so that that means he's awesome in my book. So he's building a team there, and had add, has added some really good execs from Walmart, and he's building a retail orientation. eBay has lacked that for a long time. Uh, obviously, they compete with Amazon, and we we talk to the execs at Amazon. They all you know eat, drink, and sleep retail. So it's going to be good to inject some of that DNA into eBay. So still kind of a turnaround story here. Yep, but uh, I have to imagine that the the focus they're likely to have now can only help them. Like obviously, you know, a lot of the the supplemental businesses, the PayPal, you know, GSI, Magento, you know, the, all those things have have split back out, and now you know they're really in the business of matching up those buyers and sellers and. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. I, you know, I think I think it is another positive that they're a separate company now. I, I I totally agree that being able to just focus on building a marketplace is, is good. And then um, last week you were traveling, right, Jason? You went out to the Forrester eBiz. 
So I was. I have to admit, it, as my travel goes, it's about the easiest travel I have because it, it's an Uber from my my uh, home in the Chicago suburbs to downtown Chicago. Ah, did so you I, get I, I love it. In the rare rare occasions when the the shows come to me, but I, I did attend. I got a chance to participate on a panel of Sucharita, and uh, it it was interesting. The, my big takeaway, it, f- it felt like the most popular topic at the show this year was around personalization. And, you know, Forrester shared a bunch of survey results from both retail business leaders and also IT leaders that all, you know, indicated that personalization was high on the the initiatives list for retailers and IT organizations. And, you know, there were lots of best practices presentations around how to really lead the market in terms of personalization. But, you know, the cynic in me, you know, is sitting there listening to all these presentations and you keep hearing the same question over again. Cool. I totally believe it. Like it makes perfect sense that personalization is super important. Who are the great examples of e-commerce sites that have really gotten personalization right and therefore, you know, are getting outsized returns right now? I and, even struggle with what it means. Is it just like <laughs> you get your own set of search results or every page is different or it just says, hey, Jason, welcome back. Yeah, I think it means that your name is in the upper right hand corner next to your account. Ah, okay. Yeah, so that brings up a great point. Like, to me, the the surveys are silly for a couple reasons, right? Like, to say one of your major initiatives is personalization, like, personalization isn't an outcome, right? Like, so to your point, can you add the customer's name to the corner of every page and check the box that you, you know, that was an initiative this year and we added it, right? Like, it, it, it didn't add any customer value. And to your point, personalization means so many different things and, you know, there, it's not a, a binary thing. You don't have it. You have it. Like it's a, it's a continuum of user experiences. But like when you look at the e-commerce ecosystem and you through a personalization lens, what you see are a lot of personalized product recommendations. You know, so you've got all the, you know, browse by, buy by logics and the Sertonas and the my buys and the rich relevances of the world and the, and the stuff they do, which like clearly works and adds value. And you see some personalized offers. Like you see, the Walgreens and Safeways of the world, like using all the, the behavioral data they're collecting about you to try to cater offers that are likely to be more relevant to you. And that, you know, seems also like a no brainer, but you know, I, I feel like you can go to every retailer in the world and still say, man, you know, so much more about me, the experience you're giving me you know, doesn't take that into account, right? You know, I guess I, I am, the, in my mind, the jury is a little out. Like, I, I think the reason that people want personalization is because they want the, the experience to be more relevant, to understand the context of the shopper, to know what their mission is and deliver that mission. And I, I absolutely believe that lots of retailers do that to varying degrees of success. And the better they are at making their experience relevant, the more profitable they are. But I don't believe that like superficial personalization is the only path to relevant. And, uh, you know, I, it, it is interesting. If it's as simple as we all just need more customized homepage, it's shocking that someone hasn't started a company that has a website plugin that, that makes homepages more personalized. Yeah. And, and you have to hit diminishing result returns on these things, right? You know, if, I heard this one retailer say they've got 10 to 15 data scientists just plugging away on this all the time. And it just seems like you could you could almost over-optimize where you're just kind of, you know, chewing away at this problem and personalizing and personalizing. And, and at some point, you're, you know, I don't know how much it costs to have 10 data scientists. It's going to be like 2 million bucks. You know, at some point, do you, do they still have work to do? I, I don't know. 
Yeah, and I mean, to to a large extent, I do think it's a it's a shiny object syndrome, right? Like personalization uh, for its own sake isn't that that valuable, right? Like there's a a smartphone out there that you can get made to order, the Motorola X, and you can you know pick the materials it's made with and have your own logo burned into the back, and you know I think there's thousands of permeations of that phone. It's completely personalized to you. The iPhone isn't personalized to you at all. But, you know, I think the market has spoken pretty clearly and, you know, the, the iPhone is more relevant and valuable to most consumers than that Motorola X is. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. So I, I, I'm going to continue to watch it, but I do, I take it with a grain of salt when, uh, you know, these studies come out saying, you know, personalization is, is the next big, big thing in, uh, e-commerce. Maybe it's conspiracy theory. All the personalization vendors are, are just pushing it. Exactly. And if that's the case, maybe we should start a personalization company. Okay. After our podcast business, we'll, we'll do that. That uh, it's, a, it's a plan. But so speaking of the next big thing in e-commerce, that's got to be a holiday season in the U.S., right? Yeah. Yeah. We've been talking to reporters already about holiday and the most of them kind of say, what, what are you expecting? And, it, and a lot of it's a repeat. So mobile and social, all that good stuff. The one thing I've seen that's new is there's a little bit of a backlash against the commercialization of the holiday. REI started this off with their, what do they call it, opt-out program or opt-to-go-outside and where they're going to close on, on Black Friday. And since then, a couple of the retailers have said they're not going to open on Thanksgiving and, and that should be the holiday. So so that's really interesting. What What do you think about that, Jason? Yeah, I mean, there, it does seem to be like that there are these two opposing trends, right? That there are a bunch of studies that are out now that, you know, consumers have said that they would prefer that retailers not open on Thanksgiving. And I always take those studies with a grain of salt because that's kind of asking your rational brain. And, you know, I tend to think most uh, shopping is done uh, with the subconscious. So I'm not sure how valid that methodology is. But it is interesting that that overtly customers are saying – Hey, we don't want all those kids, you know, missing Thanksgiving with their family. And we don't, we don't want all the pressure of having to go shopping on Thanksgiving. Uh, certainly, you know, REI is banking on, on, uh, the goodwill that they're generating from giving most of their employees, you know, Thursday and Friday off. At the same token, I think Toys R Us is, uh, moving their opening date from 6 p.m. on Thanksgiving to 5 p.m. And a bunch of the big retailers are sticking with that, that 6 p.m. opening on Thanksgiving. And they, they wouldn't be doing that if they didn't feel like there's a huge advantage to being the, the first shopping destination that those consumers choose when they, when they go out of the house. Yeah, one other thing I wanted to ask you about, Forrester just came out with their holiday forecast. And they, they came in, and uh, this is for e-commerce, they came in at 11%. NRF slash shop.org, they came at 8%, I think. And I haven't seen Comscore. Uh, they usually do it just a little bit closer to Thanksgiving so they can kind of get some press out of it. Uh, but I'm anticipating they'll be kind of around this 15 kind of, you know, watermark they've had out for the whole year. What are your thoughts on all those forecasts? Yeah. Well, so I, I think forecasting is really hard. Like I think, you know, once the holiday season strikes, we'll see the analytics companies reporting the actual results and they won't even agree. Right. And yeah. so, you know, if you can't get, if you can't get a consensus on the numbers, when you're looking at the actual data, obviously there's going to be a significant amount of variance in the forecast. I do think some of those forecasts are skewed by the fact that they're they're forecasting for all e-commerce businesses in the in the you know Depart- U.S. Department of Commerce, which is you know like tens of thousands of e-commerce sites, and so you would expect the growth on some of those really small sites to to not be as meaningful as the the growth on the top couple hundred sites. But all that being said, 
the forecasts feel light to me as well. And, you know, as a consultant in the space, that's super useful because we like, you know, sandbag numbers that are easy to, uh, to exceed. But I personally will be disappointed, uh, for most of my clients if they only see, uh, 11 or 12% growth in e-commerce. Okay, so so we're on the same page. Wow, yeah. that never happens. I do think there's an interesting phenomenon, and you know, frankly, like I think I saw you write about this last last year, and it may have kind of tweaked my thinking a little bit. But the whole conflict of online and offline shopping over the holidays, and you know, like traditionally for many years, or since the advent of e-commerce, you've had this traditional shopping day when people left the house and went to the stores and that was black Friday and that was a huge in-store day, you know, and then later this behavior of shopping online on Monday, you know, emerged and that became the biggest online shopping day of the year. Mm -hmm. And I, I do think the modern consumer dynamics are dramatically changing that, right? So, you know, now consumers are much more likely to be shopping on their mobile phone, which means they can be shopping while they're at their family's house on Thanksgiving or on that weekend and don't have to wait till Monday when they get to work on, on the work laptop to shop. And so it feels like the, the online orders are spreading out to more days. There definitely is a shift. You know, there are a lot of consumers that are opting out of the holiday madness. And, you know, I think something like 40% of all the growth in, uh, in holiday shopping is coming from e-commerce. And so there are a lot more people that will choose to go online than visit those stores. And it, it has this effect of taking all the sales that were on this one discrete day, Monday, and, you know, at the very least spreading them out, you know, to Thursday through Monday, which I think you called Cyber 5, which I've frankly stolen from you. Oh, yeah. thanks. As long as you always attribute it to me, that's, that's perfect. I, huh? I am putting a quarter <laughs> in a jar every time I use it. Oh, good. Good. I'll put it in the college fund. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We, we've seen, uh, especially Thanksgiving, the mobile traffic is really high. So I think people are out at the Thanksgiving Black Friday sales and they're, they're multitasking and shopping around. And, and we've seen smartphone last year. That was kind of the peak day. So it's definitely interesting. I kind of, you and I both know Swin from REI and I, I was kind of joking, you know, are they going to close the website on, on Black Friday as well? I, I have a feeling they won't. <laughs> so, so it's it's interesting that that could actually juice their e-commerce sales by having that they offer their employees. Absolutely, and I, I I strongly suspect you're right that all the folks we know at REI are going to be working pretty hard on that day. <laughs> um, I will say, you know, it's funny when people talk about that. Like I keep pointing out to people a B and H photo in New York, right? And they're they're a very successful, very large uh, single store operator and e-commerce site, and they're they're uh, Hasidic Jews, so they. They literally close the website on their Sabbath every week. And, you know, man, that's really like practicing what you preach, like that they, they, you know, you could imagine those, those servers just running and not requiring any intervention and collecting a bunch of orders from, from Friday night to, to Saturday night. And they, they choose to literally not let you order there. I never realized that. Yeah. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if, uh, if anyone ever takes the the closed holiday to that extreme and gives all the the e-commerce guys and the the factory workers, the warehouse workers, the the day off. Yeah, whenever we're together at conferences, I always enjoy talking to you about payments because you follow that a lot more closely than I do. And um, you always rave about this show, Money 2020. And I think I saw that was last week or, or kind of thereabouts, maybe right before Halloween. How how was that show this year? Yeah, so uh, it's the same week as the Forster Ebiz show. So I wasn't able to make it this year. So I had, uh, I had to send uh, a, a few folks in my stead and did get a pretty good download. You know, I've gone the last couple of years, and it a it's just an excellent show. Like I, I think it's only about a three year old show, and it's it's quickly grown to over fifteen thousand people. I think last year the fire marshal kicked them out of the 
the Aria Hotel in Las Vegas, and so they had to move it to the Venetian for a bigger venue. And, you know, they they picked a hot topic, and I, I chuckle at the name a little bit, right? Like, they called it Money 2020, which when they started the show in in 2014 or, you know, 2012 or whenever it was, that, you know, probably seemed like a far-out date. But now, you know, as they're getting awfully close to the year 2020, they're trying to rebrand it to say that it's, you know, 2020 vision about money. Ah. So that might be a little silly. But it, it uh, by all accounts, it, it continued to grow and was very active this year. Like, obviously, there's two big topics in payments that are going on right now. There's this liability shift that uh, a lot of people expected would cause uh, all brick-and-mortar retailers to start accepting EMV payments, so those credit cards with the little chips on them. Mm-hmm. And uh, this the shift happened in October that was supposed to be an impetus to get all the banks to shift. And, you know, there's there's some sentiment that that, that if, if everyone did shift to that system, that our payments in the U.S. would be safer, which I, I somewhat dispute. But so there was a ton of hardware vendors at the show this year that are all selling EMV-compatible hardware because the entire world of retail needs to, you know, buy new hardware to accept those those chips. So there's, you know, this is going to be a great excuse for a lot of retailers to upgrade their POS systems and their, their payment technologies, which, you know, I'm excited about because I think they'll add a lot of other, they'll take the opportunity to add a lot of other features. And then the other big fight is on mobile wallets. And, uh, I'm super interested in mobile wallets. It's kind of funny. I think Microsoft had this notion of Microsoft Passport back in 1999. And, you know, they had, they had identified that, hey, you know, nobody wants to type their name, address, city, state, and credit card number over and over again on the web. You know, and here we are 16 years later, and we we still haven't figured it out. And there, you know, there's literally dozens of companies now offering mobile wallets to both let you use your mobile phone to pay in store, you know, but from a volume standpoint, more importantly, mobile wallets that make it easier to buy stuff online through, through websites. And uh, it's... To me, a little frustrating at the moment because every vendor wants to be the winner. And so they're all offering these, you know, uh, winner take all type solutions that expect the whole world to exclusively adopt their wallet. And that just doesn't seem likely practical or, you know, frankly, good for the consumer. Yeah, I saw uh, Jim Cramer was saying on CNBC the other day. Can you tell I watch CNBC a lot? He said that, uh, if Starbucks took their mobile payments and spun it off as its own solution that, you know, he said every company in America would license it and it would be this whole big business. I don't, I don't know how true that is, but they're often cited as one of the leaders in mobile. What, what do you think about that? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think they certainly are. I think they're the only volume player out there. I think, you know, that at the beginning of this year, they were at something like 16% of all their payments were, were, uh, via the, their mobile system. And, uh, and I think just last month they announced that it's now up to, 20%. So that's like 9 million transactions a week. One out of five customers at that cash register is paying with that mobile wallet. And it's, you know, frankly, a particularly good mobile wallet. Not only does it handle payment, it, it has affinity program tied right to it. You know, last quarter, they added the ability to remote order and you know, have your beverage ready for you, you know, or hopefully ready for you when you get to the store. Which is um, awesome. Oh, it's, it's, it's been, uh, a, a life-changing feature set for me. Yeah, I'm I'm a three-minute elevator ride down to the Starbucks from my office in the Merchandise Mart, and so I I now know exactly when to hit that send that order to have that drink come up right as I get off the elevator. <laughs> the you had mentioned I uh, I think that the Money 2020 guys are working on another show. Did they talk all about that? 
so I didn't get to check with the guys that were there, but I certainly have. I'm starting to see some promotions for the show. That's the Shopper Talk show, and I know you know. Again, these guys seem like they're they're very good at putting on shows. They the Money Twenty show is very well run and and uh, got big very quick. You know, Shopper Talk is is targeted you know more directly at at digital shopping experiences, and I I know they hired a a well-regarded uh, Forrester analyst to be responsible for producing all the content for that show. So I, I, uh, I think they're targeting having some, some uh, big name speakers and some good content in the show. Cool. Cool. That should be interesting. Yeah, definitely want to catch next year. I personally am going to have to invent a cloning machine because apparently it's very difficult to pick a, a date for these new shows. And so that, that new shopper talk show is the exact same dates as IBM's big show, Amplify, and uh, SAP Hybris's big show, Sapphire. And so I'm going to have to figure out a way to be in three places at once that week, I fear. Good luck with that. Uh, thanks. I'll, I'll let you know how that goes. <laughs> but uh, I'll tell you what, Scott, the, our, our 30 minutes uh, or 35 minutes in this case have gone really fast. I feel like we're probably out of time for this week. Yeah, bummer. We we still have more to talk about. We'll just have to kick it to next week. Exactly. It sounds like you know we might have to start doing this as a, a weekly event, and that I think is exactly what our plan is. Or we can make it five hours every month, something like that. We'll we'll talk about it. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, anyone <laughs> needs to hear me for five straight hours, as my wife would would quickly point out. But if you did enjoy the show, we sure would appreciate it if you'd subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And uh, we'd love to get your feedback. So uh, leave us a review if you liked it or, you know, send us critical feedback via email without leaving a review if you didn't like it. But either way, we'd we'd love to hear from you. We hope you felt this was a five-star performance. Good deal. So this has been the Jason and Scott Show. See you next week. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes and please leave a review. 